Today we are wrapping up our series, Life on Mission, and um, I've really enjoyed the series. I hope you have uh, as well. Uh, today we're talking about prayer. If you were in Sunday school, you uh, listened as uh, Tim Harlow talked about, you know, maybe we could have begun this series with a study on prayer. Uh, would have been appropriate. Um, but here's the thing, is each of these steps we've talked about, uh, serving and sharing, growing, praying, none of these is a one-time shot. It's not like you say, hey, guess what? I, I prayed, and so now, now I don't have to pray anymore. Hey, guess what? I, I grew. That's it. I'm done. I don't have to grow anymore. Oh, you know what? I, I, I've served. I, I did Meals, Inc. One, one Saturday, and now I don't have to serve anymore. I mean, I... I I knocked that out of the park. I really did good. I did tell somebody about Jesus one time, so I'm, I'm finished. Mission accomplished. Uh, the, the Christian life is not that way. Each of these is an ongoing activity. It's something you continue to do throughout your life, and we could, should continue to grow in them. And as we talk about prayer this morning, um, you know, we think about prayer, and we think honestly about it, and we know that sometimes we struggle with it. Sometimes we struggle with prayer. We wonder, you know, how, how, how effective is this? Does this really work the way that we think it does? And, and you know, what, what is really happening with it? I appreciated the honesty that Steve Hayner uh, had as he faced pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed with it, and in about a year, uh, he passed away. He was the uh, past president of InterVarsity Fellowship. Uh, he, at the time, was serving as the president of Columbia Theological Seminary. And people were asking him, you know, Steve, we're praying for you. Well, what's going on? And, and, and on his blog, he, he wrote this post. I want to share this with you. He says, many are praying for one of God's big miracles. We are as well, he says. But it is not how God answers prayer that determines our response to God. God is committed to my ultimate healing. But being cured of cancer may or may not be a part of that healing work. One person told me how disturbing it is to her to watch so many thousands of prayers on my behalf and yet see a minimal of physical evidence of healing. Does God really heal? Does the amount of prayer have any special impact? Honestly, while I understand the importance and logic of questions like this, most of these questions are not ones that are important to me. He continues, he says, I truly don't know what God has planned. I could receive healing through whatever means, or I could continue to deteriorate. But life is about a lot more than physical health. It is measured by a lot more than medical tests and vital signs. More important than the more particular aspects of God's work with us is God's overall presence with us, nourishing, equipping, transforming, empowering, sustaining us for whatever uh, might be God's call to my life today. Today, my call might be to learn something new about rest, Today, my call might be to encourage another person in some uh, very tangible way. Today, my call might be to learn something new about patience, endurance, and the identification with those who suffer. Today, my call might be to mull through a new insight about God's truth or character. He closes with a quote by E.E. E. Cummings saying, I thank you, God, for this most amazing day. Steve Hayner is getting at something talking about the presence of God in this very moment that I think is critical for us. Uh, Rick Warren says this. He says, prayer makes me aware. Uh, I think that's a great little uh, truth. 
It's something that the Apostle Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, that's where we're going to be this morning, is Colossians chapter 4. Uh, read this out of the Scripture here. But uh, Colossians 4, verse 2 is where we'll start. Just want to look at this one verse for a second, then we'll move on. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Paul is letting us know that prayer will make us aware if we commit to praying. You know, it's interesting to me, people will try prayer. They'll give it a shot, just a little bit, and then they'll determine that it doesn't really work. Prayer is something that you don't just come at haphazardly. It is something you commit to. You, you, you say, I'm going to be devoted to this. Now, I know that we're all busy. You know, Jesus was a busy guy. Uh, he had three years. He starts a revolution that not only changes but saves the world. Um, that's a lot of pressure. He's got three years to take uh, these fishermen and shape them into... Um, disciples, we're going to call them apostles that are going to be sent out, that are going to transform the world themselves. He's got to get them ready. He's going to preach. He's going to heal. Uh, you know, he's going to do all of this without a car. He's going to do all of this without a tour bus. He's going to do all of this without a smartphone. I mean, how does Jesus do these things? You know, it's a miracle in and of itself. How does he do it? Well, Mark chapter 1, I think, gives us a great glimpse into it. Mark chapter 1, let me just set the scene real quick. Jesus has been baptized. He's received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He has faced the temptation, the 40 days in the wilderness. And now he's called the disciples. He begins his ministry. He preaches in the synagogue. He heals Simon Peter's mother. And she is uh, such a walking testimony that everybody else in the village, it says at sundown when, when Sabbath was over, they all flock to his house so that they can be healed. And so Jesus heals late into the night. I've never uh, miraculously healed anybody. I imagine it takes it out of you. So Jesus has been doing this late into the night. And now the text tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 32, it says, I'm sorry, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He didn't hit the snooze button. He didn't roll over. He didn't say, well, I'll start my prayer uh, you know, regime tomorrow, and I'll do double duty. He didn't, didn't say that. He got up early, and he prayed. It, it's that that I think is the, the not-so-secret secret of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was a man who was committed to prayer. I think his continual connection and the direction that he experienced from God the Father while on earth is what drew people to him. He, he had this uh, unhurried dependency on the Father throughout his life and ministry. He was just in touch with God. He was clued in to who God was and what God was doing. Unlike us, he was never too busy to pray. Even after a long day of ministry that stretches into the night, Jesus rises early before daybreak to commune with the Father and I think in some ways to reaffirm his identity because Jesus understood the power of prayer. Jesus understood it. Uh, Mark Batterson says this, he says, The greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. How true is that for us? God doesn't answer, Mark Batterson saying, the prayers that we never pray. You know, if you go through the lives of faithful people, I mean, I'm talking about the billboard faithful people, the faithful people that are going to make the Hall of Fame for our time of faithfulness, 
And you, you say, what was their relationship to prayer? You will find that they are people committed to prayer. They, they are. Without exception, they are people committed to prayer. Now, I will tell you, their prayer life may not be spectacular in the sense that they felt like, you know, I woke up and God had made me a cup of coffee and he was just sitting there at the kitchen table waiting for me. It may not be like that. Henry Nowen has written a lot that, that has meant a lot to me personally and spiritually. He's written a lot about prayer. He's written a lot about just listening to God. As he describes his own prayer life, he says, you know what? There's times I, I prayed, I didn't feel God was listening to me. It was not spectacular. Enough people had asked him, what's your prayer life like? And he said, I, I do it, but sometimes I wonder why. I mean, that's the way that it goes for him. But he said, you know, there's something about me being there in that moment where God and I, we've, I've given him my undivided attention. And he said, there's something powerful about that. You know, Mother Teresa, you know, the world was scandalized that she wrestled with doubt. She wrestled with God in doubt and prayer, but was still committed to praying to this God she had doubts about. But she was still connected to him that way. You go through the lives of people like Martin Luther and John Wesley. Both of these men were committed, and, and it's documented. These guys spent a lot of time in prayer. Hour or two, first thing in the morning. And, and John Wesley and Martin Luther both had a real similar quote attributed to them where they said, you know, if I know I've got a lot to do in a particular day, I'll spend three hours in prayer that morning. You know, it, I'm too busy not to pray. You know, I'm too busy. I've got to pray. Uh, Paul's going to also say this. He's going to say, if you're going to pray, you're going to be devoted to prayer. You've got to stay watchful in gratitude. Stay watchful in gratitude. Keep alert uh, in thanksgiving is how the New Revised Standard translates it. The message, Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Gratitude is good for you. I've said this before, I will say this again, I really wholeheartedly believe this. If we could master gratitude, I think all of the other spiritual disciplines and attitudes would come unlocked for us in, in a surprising way. If as a parent or grandparent, you could pray for only one virtue and teach your children only one virtue, I would say teach your children gratitude. Teach them to be thankful. Gratitude is so good for our souls. It's something that's hard, but it's something that's necessary. It's something that, that's in the lives of people that we admire. I mean, Jesus, he gives thanks to God a lot. John eleven forty one. 41, Jesus thanks the Father for hearing him when he prays. If Jesus says, God, I'm thankful that you listen to me when I pray to you, what about us? Should we not have that same level of gratitude? Paul is constantly uh, giving thanks for churches. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul, Paul says, I'm thankful for you, Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was probably the biggest headache Paul had. These are people that were problems and causing issues and writing letters and phone calls and all sorts of stuff. But Paul says, I'm thankful for you. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul talks about how hard his ministry is, how he has faced oppression and persecution. And he says, I am thankful that it is difficult. I'm thankful for these hardships. He'll say in Ephesians 5.20, he's going to command us to be grateful always. How about this one? We'll put this on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Which circumstances? All circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude helps us to stay watchful in our prayers. For this one reason is because sometimes we've got to look for God. 
you know, sometimes you've got to look for God. Man, your, your car broke down, and, and your air conditioner broke down, and you, they've cut back on your hours at work, and you're going, I'm not real thankful. It's at that moment Paul would say, find something to be thankful for. Find something to be grateful for. Maybe you come home and you go, you know what? My family still loves me, even though we got a problem here. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that I've still got the ability to work. Maybe that's what you're thankful for. Maybe you say, you know what? I'm thankful, God, that, that you hear my prayers. And right now I'm kind of angry, and I might even be angry at you, but you're still listening, and you still love me. And we find those things to be grateful for. Sometimes we can even find the hardship is something to be grateful for. God, I'm thankful that I'm dealing with this because it's teaching me that I'm dependent upon you and not anybody else. God, I'm thankful that you hear my prayers even in the midst of times when I don't know how you're working. I'm grateful that you are working. Paul tells us to be grateful. He says, I want you to have gratitude. Stay alert in thanksgiving. That's how we should pray. Let's look at what Paul wants us to pray for, verses 3 through 6. He says, At the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. I love this verse because Paul is asking the church to pray for him. Paul the Apostle, some people call him Saint Paul. He is a man who, he's probably the greatest missionary, evangelist of all time, and he is asking the church, he's saying, will you pray for me? Will you pray that I've got the right words to speak? Will you pray that I have the opportunities and I take advantage of those opportunities? to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we've got to pray for those that are spreading the gospel. Pray, pray for your elders. Pray for me. Pray for your Sunday school teachers, that, that they would have the right words to say. Well, let's come down to verse 5. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Paul is, is challenging us to pray for the spread of the gospel and to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. You know, it is interesting that Jesus, he, he looks out at the field, or all the people, and he tells the disciples, he says, look out here, look at all these people. Do you see that the field is white to harvest, that, that, that people are ready to come into the kingdom of God? Do you see that? And the first thing he says in response to that isn't, go get them. Go get out there and go do something. The first thing he says is you should pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the, the harvest field. Now, the next thing he'll do is he's going to send them out into the harvest field. He'll send them out there, but he says, before you go do something, stop and pray. Pray that God will send more people. You go out there, but pray that God will send five others to go with you. And pray that they do it even better than you do. Pray that people will go out there. We've got to pray for the spread of the gospel because it is the most important thing that we can pray for. It is the best and most important thing that can happen in the world. Listen, I, I know that there are those of you here in this room that I say spreading the gospel is the most important thing to do. And I know some of you, maybe you wouldn't put words to it this way, but you would maybe kick back at that a little bit and say, are you sure that's the most important thing we should do? I mean, there's, there's hungry people out there. Maybe we should feed them first 
before we spread the gospel. There's sick people out there. Maybe we should take care of the sickness before we preach the gospel. You know, there's, there's people out there that are, that are oppressed. Maybe we should set those people free, and then we'll share the gospel with those people. There's, there's crime out there. We should maybe deal with the social problems that are there and the injustice that's there. And yes, it's there, and we should deal with that before we spread the gospel. I want to tell you, I think that we have gotten it wrong. We've said, you know what, we've got to do something before we can say something. And Jesus is saying, listen, your job is to first and foremost declare the gospel. It is to preach the gospel. Why is that so important? Why should the church never be distracted by feeding people or healing people? I mean, I'm not saying these are mutually exclusive. I'm not saying you can't feed and preach at the same time. I'm not saying that you can't deal with those issues and preach at the same time. But you can never forget that our job is to preach the gospel first and foremost and to pray for the gospel to spread. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, you, you you sit around at home watching your TV late at night and you wring your hands about why we need a more civil society. Let me tell you what you should pray for. You should pray that the gospel would spread. You should pray that the gospel would spread and that people would see the value of each other and they would say, you know what? God sent his son to die for all of us. And so until we start to value each other the way that God values us, guess what? We're never going to have civility. It's just not going to happen, okay? So you pray for the spread of the gospel if you want a more civil society. You, You want to have hope? You feel hopeless as you think about a new election and a new year? You feel hopeless? Pray that the gospel would spread. See what God can do in in, in an individual's life and in a family's life and in a church's life or a a community's life or a city's life and see how God changes that. And then you will have hope for what God can do in the world. Friends, you want to see healing take place? Pray that the gospel would spread with power and that lives would be transformed and marriages would be put back together and people that, that are just sick with anxiousness and worry and, and depression and all those things as they find that hope that's in Jesus Christ. See healing take place as the gospel spreads. You want to see crime go down? Pray that the gospel would spread and that people would put Christ first in their lives and live according to what he has taught. Pray that the gospel would spread. You want to see the oppressed set free? Pray that the gospel would spread. Pray that the gospel would spread. Because when the gospel goes forward, it changes people, it changes families, it changes villages, it changes cultures. Some of you are skeptical. All right, let's, how about this? Open Doors USA works with churches and places where it's illegal to have churches. Uh, This comes back in the 1990s. Here you go. Um, From China. In China, it is illegal to be a Christian. How many of you know that? Nod your head. Okay. All right. Some of you put your hands up. Some of you nodded your head. Some of you didn't do anything. All right. In China, let's try this again. It's illegal to be a Christian. Uh, How many of you know that? Nod your... Okay. You really want to put your hand up. That's great. Okay. So, all right. I'm going to just tell you so that way we all know. In China, it's illegal to be a Christian. All right. So now you know that. That's a declarative statement. You all know. You've been here. You understand. So now I'm going to ask you, this is a question. How many of you know that in China, it's illegal to be a Christian? Put your hand up if you know that. If your neighbor's hand isn't up, hit them. I'm I'm serious. And you wake them up and you say, are you paying attention? All right. 
All right, all right, here we go. So here we go. Back in the 1990s, in Lankan Lehu, Yunnan province, try to say that 10 times fast. In the mid 1990s, Chinese government officials became so fed up with sky high rates of crime, drug addiction, and sickness in the county that they turned to help to the only model citizens they had in the area, which were the Christians. All right, here is an official who, who, who's giving this on record for their, their magazine. He says, we had to admit that the Lehu people were a dead loss. I mean, he just, he's written off the entire people. He said, these people, that's a dead loss of these people. He said, because their addiction to opium. He said, their addiction made them weak. They're sick. They would go to their priests who required animal sacrifices of such extravagance that they became poor. And because they were poor, they stole from each other. And so law and order deteriorated. And it was a vicious cycle that no matter how much they put government propaganda in there and programs in there, they couldn't break the cycle. And so officials in 1998 launched an experiment the likes that would have been unthinkable in China 10 years previous, they sponsored, read this, they paid for Christians to go into the troublesome villages and share their faith. They started picking out the worst villages, which had 240 people, 107 of them which were hopelessly addicted to opium, and the Christian Lehus who'd come from their village were bussed into the village at government expense, and then catch this, the police rounded everybody up in the village. They went door to door and they brought everybody in the entire village into the town square and they said, you have to sit here and listen to these people give a witness about Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what they made them do. They made them listen. A year later, there were 17 converts in the village. They began to grow rich because they stopped spending money on drugs. Eight of the 17 converts even had enough to own a sewing machine and start a small business. By early 2002, 83 of the villagers were Christians, and the prosperity had spread. The government officials said this, we are delighted with the results and have been extending the tactic, the tactic of taking Christians to other places, having police round up the Chinese people where it's illegal to be a Christian, and make them listen to what it would take for them to become a Christian. They are doing that. Why? Because the gospel is powerful, and it changes things. Okay? So because the gospel is so important, Paul is going to ask the church to pray for him, and he's going to ask them to pray for themselves. He's going to say, you need to have wisdom when you share the gospel. That's something we need to pray for, is we need to pray for wisdom as we share the gospel. Paul reminds the church that they need to conduct themselves wisely towards outsiders, towards those who do not know the gospel. Last week we talked about how our lives are on display for the world to see, okay? They just are. If you're a Christian and you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, people are going to be watching you like, like this, watching you to, to see what's different in your life. This is why Jesus in Matthew 5, 16 says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so if our lives are on display, then we need to be praying that we are spending time wisely displaying God's goodness. We need to use our time wisely and spend some of that precious time that we've got with people that don't know Jesus. So if you've got a friend or family member and you're praying they're going to receive Christ and you don't talk with them or, or spend time with them or email them or call them, guess what? You're cutting off one of the avenues God has to reach them for Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes this requires thought and persistence. You might have to put this into your calendar and say, you know what? I need to spend this time with this person. Every first Tuesday, I'm going to see if we can just go out for coffee and just 
just to have a conversation because I like this person and I, I, I want to pray for him and I want to know how to pray for him. And so I'm going to just, we're going to try to get together. You're going to put that down and you're going to have a divine conspiracy to, to influence them for Jesus Christ. Why? Because we love people and we want them to come to know the power of the gospel. Paul says we should also pray for gracious and true words. As witnesses of Jesus Christ, we've got to tell the truth about what God has done in our lives. We can't hold that back. We can't hold that back. But when we do that, we need to do it graciously. We need to remember that you know, we are called to be witnesses. We are not God's judge. We are not God's uh, accusing attorney. We are not the defending attorney. We are simply witnesses where we say, I have seen God work in my life and in the lives of those around me. And we might sometimes take positions of right or wrong where we tell the truth about God and, and maybe why we do things and why we don't do other things. And we tell the truth about those things. Why? Because we believe that's what the very best thing we can do is. And we think that God wants us to live our lives that way because he's designed us for so much more than what this world's got to offer. And so today, as we kind of wrap up, I wanna, we're going to take some time here in a second to pray. We'll pray for two things here, really is I'd like to challenge you to pray for those people that you know that still need to receive Jesus Christ. And we're going to take some time. We're just in silence here. We're going to let you pray. And also, I would encourage you to pray for those who are proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Uh, you know, we support several missions and missionaries that are in places where it is, it is restricted access to proclaim the gospel. Think of, of the Christ Reaching Asia mission where they're in China and they're in North Korea. We think of uh, folks that are in, in uh, North Burma, also where it's illegal. They're proclaiming the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ there. Pray for those folks that are, that are reaching out. Some of you have a real heart for the world and, and the gospel spreading through the world. Write this website down, joshuaproject.net, spelled the way you think it should be. joshuaproject.net. This uh, is an agency that has done a, an incredibly thorough job of researching people groups in the world and asking this question, is the gospel there? Do they have a church there? Do they have the Bible translated in their language there? Uh, what's happening here? Do they have a missionary that's sent there? And it's interdenominational. They just want to reach the world for Jesus. And, and if you've got a heart for that, every day there's a new people group that, that kicks up on their page that says pray for these people because they don't, they don't have the gospel yet. And so you can take that home and, and do that. But this morning, I do want to, I want to take some time to pray. I don't want us to just talk about it. I want us to do it. So here, here's how this is going to work. If you're physically able, I'd like for us, we haven't done this in a while, I'd like us to get on our knees and pray. I know it's tight. I know it's inconvenient. Some of you can't do it, and I'm not gonna, we're not going like, to double check that. But if you can, let's try to get on our knees, and we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God, God, would you please work in these people's lives Christ asked us, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. Let's do that right now. So let's go ahead and get on our knees. We'll take some time in silence and pray.
Gracious Lord, this is your church down on our knees praying, Lord, that your gospel would go forward. Praying, Lord, that you would send workers into the harvest field. God, those workers might be in this room. It might be me. It might be the folks that are gathered here in your name. And so, Lord, we just pray that that not only would you send people, Lord, but we, we want you to know that we're available and ready for your use. And so, God, if there's a place to go, would you send us? If there's somebody to talk to, would you open up our mouths? God, would you help us to be effective witnesses for you? God, for those folks in, in our own communities, in our workplaces, in our, even our own families, Lord, that, that have not yet received you or have wandered from you, God, would you draw them back to you and use us as you see fit? And God, for those, those missions and missionaries around the world, uh, those folks that are in Haiti, um, even right now, Lord, we just pray that you'd be with them, the folks at Northwest Haiti Christian Mission and, and Kathy and Angela and the team that's down there. God, we lift up to you uh, those that are working uh, with the Christ Reaching Asia Mission, uh, for those working in North Burma. And we're thankful, Lord, that we, we get to have a small part of contributing to that work there. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them. And God, for us finally today, even today, Lord, we might have an opportunity to share your gospel. And so, Lord, would you give us the right words uh, to share as we need to. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, why don't we go ahead and stand. We'll come to our time of decision. And every week, we, we offer this, this opportunity for those of you that have not received the gospel to come and to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be baptized into him, and to start your life with Jesus Christ. Um, others of you, maybe it's time for you to make a commitment uh, to serve and to get involved here at Bowling Green Christian Church, and step one really for you is going to be membership. Yeah, we love for you to attend, and you can attend as long as you want without being a member, but serving and getting connected, it, it happens best when you say, you know, this is going to be my church family. I'm going to make a commitment to be a part of this congregation. And if that's a decision you have to make this morning, we want to invite you to come forward as we sing. So if you've got a decision, come forward. Otherwise, we're going to sing this song as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion.